Coming up this hour, did you see last night's interview where Oprah interviewed Prince Harry and Meghan Markle? We're going to talk about that. And then we're joined by Linda McGibbon, the author of a new book called My Vertical Neighborhood. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. My name is Brian Fromm. Joined, I'll give you a hint, she's been on a bunch lately. Joined by Aubrey Sampson. Happy Monday, Aubrey. It's a beautiful day. It is a beautiful day outside. I came again. They let you come I, back. <laughs> I mean, that's true. I banged on the doors. Let me in. Yeah, they don't know you're in the show right now. Right, but I was like, right. yeah, sure. <laughs> Glad that you are back with us. And uh, if you uh, miss any of the show today, we've got a podcast. You can also go to 1160hope.com. Something we like to do at the beginning of uh, the show is just catch up on some news. And before we jump into one of the big ones, I thought of you this weekend because something happened in my family. Oh, so uh, we're sitting there, and my 17-year-old daughter, Madeline, she is, uh, she, I could tell she's watching something on her phone, okay. has her headphones on. I'm like, I'm like, oh, what are you watching? She was like basically binge-watching WandaVision. WandaVision, well done, and well I done. And I laughed, and she's like, Dad, you probably wouldn't like it. I said, oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Not even going to pretend like I would. So we left you on Friday. You were going to watch yeah. the end of it. You were going to have Portillo's. I'm more yep. interested in the Portillo's, but, uh, but how did that go? How was your weekend? Well, we got a whole chocolate cake. You did do yep, it. Yeah, we okay. did. And we watched it, and I, you know, I don't want to spoil it for listeners, but it was a great conclusion. Although some critics said it didn't end the way we wanted, but it mm-hmm. certainly ended the way it needed to, because it is now introducing the new Spider-Man movie and the new Doctor Strange movie, things you don't care about, but things that I do care about. So it be, it opened up some of the new worlds that Marvel's about to introduce us to. I wouldn't say I don't care. Brian, <laughs> you don't care, Brian. I do not. I do not. It's funny. I don't know anything of WandaVision, but my Twitter was there it looked more negative than positive on the ending. Yeah, I I personally liked the ending, but I, people there were lots of build up and expectations as there are around Marvel things. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the, certain characters that people expected to show up that didn't and certain theories that didn't pan out. And so I think some people were bummed that it just sort of ended. Yeah. But uh, if they stayed for the two Easter eggs at the end, I think they would have been really pleased. So I don't know. Which we know that's what they do in those movies. They stick them at the end. All right. Another big thing that happened, and I'll be honest, I didn't watch it. But now I've seen all the recap of it. You and I last week were talking about Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. We're going to go full People magazine here. (laughs) I love it. We're going full extra current affair, whatever it is. Yep. Uh, That interview last night was something. Yeah. Oprah interviewed uh, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, and I think a lot of people were like, "Are they going to go nuclear? Are they right. going to like kind of play it safe?" You don't. If you're not going to go all in, you don't have Oprah do it. Exactly. I left with some very conflicted feelings about what what happened last night, but I'm wondering if whether you watched it or you saw recaps of it. What was your take? So I didn't watch it. Our we had our small group last night, our church uh, little community group, and I was. A little bit not present because I wanted to be watching the interview. I'll just be real with you. But I decided, okay, I'll be a faithful person and be with my group. Church guilt is a strong thing. (laughs) But I did read as much as I could this morning. And it seemed like some bombshells were dropped. Some controversial statements were made. And lots of people have strong feelings about 
both uh, the monarchy should be abolished. I mean, mm-hmm. that's strong. And also, Meghan and Harry are spoiled, and they may have made some of this up. So I don't know. What do you think? Because you're a fan of the royal family. I do enjoy reading about the royal yeah, family. So what did you think? I, I left going. It's really weird because I felt conflicted because I felt really badly for them. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Meghan Markle talked about feeling suicidal. Ugh. Uh, Prince Harry talked about the pain in the family. They talked about some, uh, nobody knows who said it, but some um, just racist Racist. stuff about their baby. Uh, And you're just like, man, they were going through a lot. And so I did leave there going, okay, kind of get why they moved away. Mm -hmm. You're kind of left with why uh, we're not from Britain, Great Britain. So, you know, they can run their country as they want. But the monarchy is a little strange and it seems to be... Uh, yeah, just a lot of weird stuff going on there. On the other hand, uh, if you're looking to get out of the spotlight, I'm not sure doing a interview with Oprah is the way to do right, it. Right, that's been your critique the whole time. Like, <laughs> so, do you really want to get away or do you not really want like, to get away? I don't think it's the last we've heard of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. Certainly it's not. And so to me, that does bring into question a little bit of like... yeah. What's the end game here? What exactly are you trying to accomplish? What we, you and I talked about last week, I feel kind of the most strongly about is just sad. Like, what are yeah. these two brothers? What's their relationship oh. going to be now? Uh, ha- Prince Harry, during the interview, at least alluded to the fact that his dad wasn't talking to him. I know, that was pretty heartbreaking. And so, you know, that he, he you could read between the lines when he talked about his brother going, we'll, we, we will be okay. Right. The implication there is we are currently We're not, not okay. She said some stuff about, you know, Prince William's wife, Kate. Like, yeah. you're just my biggest thing was just uh, anytime you hear someone bring up suicidal thoughts and that your, your heart breaks for yes, them. Absolutely. Just a weirdness of it all. Also, but just going going back and that's a family that it's is just family rumbling. And, and yes. after that interview, I kind of wanted to also go like, was it worth it? Ugh. Like, was it worth doing that? I don't know. Maybe they felt like they needed to get their story out. But the whole concept of celebrity and monarchy and interview and airing our dirty laundry, I, I kind of felt dirty watching some of it. Going. I, just I don't feel, feel like we sad, should. too. I mean, there are grandbabies involved. Mm-hmm. And I it, oh, it is a real family. I think that's when you step back and remember they're a real family. So there's a lot of pain there. It is really, really heartbreaking. I think what I wonder is, does... I don't know enough about the monarchy or the firm as <laughs> Meghan Markle, yes. which I thought that was a that was a pretty weighted uh, term. But does do they respond now or are they silent? Like, it'll be interesting to see what their move is in response to this. So common thought seems to be that they have to respond because okay. it wasn't just, oh, you know, we didn't like being royals. We didn't. We wanted to move. They they lobbed some big yeah. ones at them. Yeah. So they, they threw some bombs across the across the pond, if you will. And so I don't think they can't. I don't think I think you have to they respond. can't stay silent. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. I think you've got to respond to that. So anyway, would love to know your thoughts. Uh, happy International Women's Day. Why, thank you. And so uh, I, I, you know, hopefully your husband, Kevin, got you a card. But uh, international- he got me a Portillo's cake. On Friday. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, give people a background a little bit of International Women's Day, why it's important and kind of what this day is, is highlight. What's it highlight? Like, why does it exist? Yeah. So uh, International Women's Day, a lot of people don't know this. It has been around for over a century. I did not know that. Yes. It uh, began in 1911, believe it or not. And it's to celebrate women's achievements, 
raise awareness about women's equality, definitely to lobby for, you know, when there's gender disparity in the workplace or in other environments, we're going to lobby against that. And then to fundraise for women, like let's support women, let's support female authors, let's support female business owners, let's support female teachers and healthcare workers, et cetera. So anytime there's a marginalized people group, which in America, women have been historically marginalized, dehumanized, et cetera. This is a moment for those voices to be celebrated and empowered. And I think they actually have a theme this year called Choose to Challenge. Mm. And basically, they're calling women and men who are advocates of women to say, I'm going to challenge the status quo and I'm going to stand up for empowering women. So it's a good day to be a woman on International (laughs) Women's Day. It's a good day to be a woman. So uh, and the important thing to realize, too, is it's international. So it's not just American Women's Day. That's right. Our church, uh, we've had this partnership with an organization called African New Life for a long time. Uh, and, and the pastor at African New Life was in, you know, from Rwanda was posting about it today. And oh, that's like, cool. Okay, that takes uh, it grows your mindset because um, the, especially globally, the way women are treated can be really um, especially, especially globally. Uh, that's right. A big deal that, that awareness needs to become up. And so we wanted to start the show uh, bringing that up. Today is International Women's Day. You can find out more about it at www.internationalwomensday.com. Well, coming up next for the next two segments, we're going to be joined by the author of a new book called My Vertical Neighborhood, How Strangers Became a Community. Her name is Linda McGibbon. Linda is going to join us next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks so much for joining us today on what has turned out to be a beautiful Monday afternoon here in the Chicagoland area. And we are thrilled to be joined on the phone by the Vice President of People and Culture for InterVarsity Canada and the author of a new book that's coming out later this month called My Vertical Neighborhood, How Strangers Became a Community. That author is Linda McGibbon. Linda, thanks so much for joining us today. My pleasure. It's delightful to be chatting with folks from Chicago. Oh, equally as delightful to be chatting with a Canadian. So (laughs) we're glad to have you with us. Uh, Thank you. Absolutely. Linda, before we jump into the book, which again, looks great, and we're excited for you uh, as it's coming out. Before we get into that, uh, could you introduce yourself so our audience can get to know you a little bit? I'd be happy to do that. Um, I think I'm a person who is curious by nature. Mm. And... um, when I when I, I studied journalism in university many, many years ago, and my first jobs were actually, one of my first jobs was in radio, and then I became a newspaper reporter and editor for a good 22 years before coming to work full-time for InterVarsity. My, so I would say I have a long-standing curiosity about the world and about people, mm. uh, which makes perhaps the kind of book that I've written not that surprising. Uh, a couple of other things about me. Um, I am blessed to have a really deep and rich community of friends and family around me. So I'm not married. I don't have children, but I also wouldn't describe myself as single. Hmm. So, you know, I'm trying to think of a new way to describe (laughs) life reality. Absolutely. (laughs) And as you said, I I do live in Toronto, but I'm actually from the far east of Canada, originally from Newfoundland. And uh, that my heart is still very much a, a, a coastal heart. Oh. So there's a few things about me. I want to get up there sometime and see Newfoundland. It sounds amazing. 
So, Linda, you write about good neighboring, essentially, in your book. And I would love to hear your story. What prompted you to write this? Um, You know, I um, often say to people, I didn't set out to write a book. Mm. Even though I'm a writer and and all my life I've wanted to write a book. Um, but I actually really did set out to figure out how to love my neighbors. I moved to Toronto about 10 years ago. And prior to that, uh, maybe 10 years before that, I heard Michael Frost speak at a conference. Hmm. He's written the foreword for the book, the Australian missiologist. And he he's great stories of moving into his neighborhood with other Christians, with the, like, just with the goal of loving their neighbors, however they could do that. I was really inspired by what Michael had to say. And it's one of those things that you kind of tuck away in the back of your mind and you keep trying to think about, how can I live like that? How can I live like that? But I couldn't seem to fully do it in my life um, back east at the time. Um, I think I just had too many other things already in my life. So when I moved to Toronto, uh, as I said, 10 years ago, I was just turning 50. And I thought, you know, I think I have an opportunity. I have a clean slate. What if I tried this? Kind of a theological experiment, kind of a sociological experiment, mm-hmm. but I was curious, like, what difference would it make if I really tried to live out the commandment to love my neighbor? Hmm. Um, I, I like to be practical about my faith as well as thoughtful, and so what would, what would happen? Would I, what would happen? And so that was the beginning, that was the impetus. I made some conscious decisions as I, as I came to Toronto about how I would structure my life. Yeah, yeah. And what were some of those decisions? Like, what were the practical things when you moved in? You're like, this is what I'm going to do. What were some of those steps? Very uh, practically, I made a decision that I would leave space in my life to meet my neighbors. Hmm. So I, when I found a church eventually to go to, I, I met with the pastor and I said, I'm, I'm probably only going to come to church a couple times a month. And for the beginning anyway, I'm not going to get involved in committees or boards or all the kinds of things that I had done in previous lives, uh, previous places I'd lived, uh, partly because I work for a Christian organization. And so I knew that I would have a lot of Christians in my life. Right. I also knew my past experience in churches was to get really involved. I was a deacon. I led youth groups. I did lots of things that people who are members of churches do, but it just meant there was very little space in my life for interruptions or for other people, and particularly people who didn't necessarily share my faith. Hmm. So when I came here, I decided I am going to, you know, not depend on my workplace colleagues to be my friends. Uh, I had some family here, you know, I'll see them, but I'm not going to just try to have their friends be my friends. I'm going to try to meet the people who live in my condominium building, which is a 30-story um High rise. Oh wow! In west west end of Toronto, so it's probably you know three hundred fifty, four hundred people maybe live in that building, and and I thought I'll just leave space. So that was one very practical thing I did was I said no to a lot of things, mm. and started to do things so that I could try to meet people. I love the intentionality with which you just decided. I am going to set aside a. I'm going to set aside time in my schedule specifically to get to know neighbors. I think that's so incredible. How did your neighbors first respond? That's what I want to know when you're, I'm a stranger. I want to be friends with you. How did that go? Well, I have to tell you, for the first year, it was not easy. Um, I was alone. So I was, you know, living alone in my apartment. And I was trying to meet people by joining a, a gardening committee at the condo. Or I would say hello to people in the elevators or have brief conversations 
with, you know, people as I passed them. So I kind of superficially got to know people, but I didn't feel comfortable just inviting anyone into my home at that point as mm-hmm. a single person. I was well, I'm not sure that's safe. Mm-hmm. And also, would people think that's weird? What's condo etiquette in a big city? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so for about a year, I tried all those things, and it didn't seem like anything very much was happening. But then um, a colleague of mine decided to move into the building as well. And she also had a heart for wanting to meet neighbors and show hospitality to people. She randomly found an apartment on my floor. So wow. we bookended this 15th floor of this apartment building. She was on one end and I was on the other. And then uh, used the word intentionality and that came very much into play again. We started deciding to do things um, together So we, for about five years, hosted an open-door Monday night dinner in her apartment or my apartment where anybody could come. That's awesome. And anybody could bring anybody they wanted to. And we were there every single Monday night without many misses Mm. for about five years. Wow. Um, We did other things as well. We started a writing group in the building and just put up signs and invited people who wanted to learn to write to come and share writing. Um, We would throw potluck dinners every now and then. Um, but I think the cornerstone foundational thing was the Monday night dinner initially, and then the writers group. Yeah. Um, two consistent things that gave people a place to come and to bring their friends. And everybody needs something to do on a Monday night, right? Who wants to go home alone after work? <laughs> Seriously, right, exactly. Exactly, exactly. Without other voice here is Linda McGibbon. She is the vice president of people and culture for InterVarsity Canada and the author of a new book that's coming out called My Vertical Neighborhood, How Strangers Became a Community. That book comes out on March the 30th. Let me point you to a website, too. It's lindamcgibbon.com, L-Y-N-D-A-M-A-C-G-I-B-B-O-N.com. I'm curious, as you uh, have kind of lived with this intentionality uh, in your condo, as you said, and kind of living out the love your neighbor commandment more literally than you had in the past, uh, what have you seen God do in you and and through you in your condo? What's some of the fruit that's come from this? Uh, Lots of fruit, both in me and I think in in larger relationships. Um, Let me just speak to myself first. Um, I would say that I have learned that saying yes to invitations, being real about my questions, my life, who I am, um, being present to people, being available, has given me far um, more blessings and gifts than any of the sort of associated risks or fears that mm. I might have had coming into wow. trying to live this way. Mm. Um, I've obviously developed some new friends, but loving your neighbor is one of the things I've learned is that it's actually different than um, establishing per- perhaps a lifelong friendship with somebody you went to school with or grew up with, or even the kind of family relationships we have, because neighbors by nature do tend to come and go. And I feel like even Jesus is teaching around neighbors, it's kind of the people you bump up up against in any kind of moment. And how will you respond to them? Who will you be to them? How will you be present to them? So one of the things I've tried to practice even in the, even during this global pandemic, when we can't welcome people into our homes, is to just try to be present to people when I'm out on the street going for a walk. Mm. So looking people in the eye, smiling at them, saying hello. That's so good. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of going that extra to see people. Um, uh, one of the things I think that some of my friends and neighbors who I did get to know um, 
in my condo community, one of the things one of my friends, Brian, often said is he felt a sense of love and belonging wow. when he would come to our Monday night dinners or be part of our writing group or in mm-hmm. our friendships. And he would say that that's something that he hadn't really experienced in very many situations before in his life. Wow. So uh, in my book, there's lots of stories about my relationship with Brian. He came uh, into my life as somebody who would have said that Jesus wasn't even real. Hmm. Um, through the course of our friendship, uh, began to express a belief that Jesus was indeed real. I uh, would still say he's not ready to be a follower of Jesus, but is absolutely interested and engaged and asking lots of questions. And we had lots of conversations about faith and life. Isn't it so, so true that that movement. sense of um, belonging tends to move the needle towards belief? It's often I find that people want to feel like they belong and then they'll consider belief in Jesus as an option. So I love that you're creating space for that, Linda. I think that's so incredible. I have to know, how has COVID, you know, this mm. past pandemic year we've been in, how has it impacted your ability to love your neighbors and have these Monday night open door dinners, et cetera? Well, it's absolutely um, impacted it because we can't do it. Right. Um, we, we actually can't do it. So, um, I, I mean, I can't even invite neighbors, one you know, one or two neighbors in at the same time because mm-hmm. of the rules that we're living under in Toronto and wow. have been for a year. Um, so I think for, for me, it's, it's, it's back to uh, what I just said a few minutes ago, the intentionality of being present to people, being willing to be interrupted, to take a risk. So I have a few single friends who live in my neighborhood who have kind of been in our bubble, in my bubble, um, because even though we can't control all of the things around each other's lives, the risk of being present to each other is worth it. Um, and then I think the other thing is, is just trying to be present to people as I pass them, as I'm in the elevator with them, or taking a nudge to send a text or an email mm-hmm. or a letter or a phone call to yeah, people. Yeah, it's good. Um, all of those kinds of things um, we can still do. The, the commandment is still live. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, and Linda, for the people out there listening right now, and they're like, you know what? I don't have time for my neighbors. I don't necessarily, maybe I don't like my neighbor. I just haven't <laughs> taken that step to even get to know my neighbors at all. Uh, I wonder if you had like a one or two kind of first tangible steps that people can take that would, uh, that you would encourage them to start moving down this pathway. I would say the first thing to do is pray. Mm-hmm. Uh, pray that God would uh, change your heart. Pray that God would give you eyes to see people Pray that God would help you figure out, how do I change my schedule? Uh, what do I do to make time? The second thing I do is say, invite people to do this with you. Mm. So I, you know, where two or three are gathered. <laughs> right. In the midst of us. Uh, much more happened once my friend moved into my building with me. And uh, we started to do things together. So a family could decide, well, maybe we're going to go out for a walk together in our neighborhood and say hello to people, or maybe we're going to invite a family in, and a new family in that we've never had before, instead of inviting the church family in that we mm-hmm. might have had. Like, make changes in your life that way. Um, it, it's, it's about making space, making time, intentionality, um, and, and small things matter. So yeah. I think, you know, we did a Monday night dinner for a number of years, and people weren't so concerned about what we ate. They just loved to come. Hmm. 
(laughs) So I think sometimes we make it harder for ourselves than it has to be. That's so true. Take the pressure off a little bit, right? Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, pray about your fears, because I do think there are lots of fears that we have about extending ourselves in this way. So again, expressing those fears to God. Yeah, that's so good. Give, God will give you the power that you need to love your neighbors, even when you're an introvert or even when you feel nervous about it. Linda, how that's can right. people who want to find you and follow you and find out more about My Vertical Neighborhood, How Strangers Became a Community, where can they find and follow you? So uh, the book is available. Um, any, it will be available anywhere that you want to shop. You can pre-order it online. Uh, if People are familiar with IVP and Terrestrial Press's website. Uh, they can read more about it there. And I do write a blog on a semi-regular basis, lindamcgibbon.com, and uh, people can find me there as well. Again, that author there is Linda McGibbon, author of the new book, My Vertical Neighborhood. Linda, you did this before, but as we close, I'd love to just have you talk to the person who's out there going, you know what, I'm lonely right now. And uh, it's been COVID, all of this stuff, because, you know, it has been a difficult year. How would you speak to that person as you talk about community uh, and loving your neighbor? How would you talk to the person who maybe the the nudge isn't go love your neighbor, but they feel unloved right now and they don't feel like anybody is there for them? Do you have a word of hope for people like that? Uh, I think the the risk to take is to reach out to someone. Mm -hmm. So even if you're the one who starts to smile at somebody that you walk by on the street or, and if they say hello and you say hello, and then you say, how's your day going? You might have a five minute conversation on the street with a stranger. Right. That's one thing. Mm -hmm. Secondly, uh, to, to those who are followers of Jesus who are listening to this, um, respond to the nudges Mm. you're getting to reach out to people. That's good. Because that is our, that is the call on our lives. That's good. As followers of Jesus. That's good. Again, the book is My Vertical Neighborhood, How Strangers Became a Community. It releases on March the 30th. You can also go to Linda's website, Linda lindamcgibbon.com. She is the Vice President of People and Culture for InterVarsity Canada and, again, the author of the new book, My Vertical Neighborhood. Linda, thanks so much. This was delightful. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. My pleasure. Absolutely. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Monday. Welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you with us on what is just, a, let's be honest, a gorgeous oh, day Oh, it's a gorgeous day. It's like almost 70 degrees or something. Yes. And so this morning, uh, Carrie, my wife and I, like I tried to, after preaching on Sunday, like try to take at least a little bit of time off on Monday just to recharge a little bit. And we nice. were cleaning out the garage today. <gasps> It was awesome. Wow. You like, see, you were like outside doing it work. It was glorious. Wow. And, and I enjoy doing stuff like cleaning out the garage, yeah. like seeing that kind of a But then walking stuff out and being like, it's legitimately warm right Ugh, now. It's amazing. Again, I'm sure it's going to snow in a week or two. I but. know. It is. I didn't put on a coat today, though. So that's pretty phenomenal. My daughter did ask me, can I wear shorts today? I'm like, I think you're a little ahead of yourself right now, sweetie. <laughs> you're pushing it. You want to save it for like a really good day. Exactly. So hopefully you're having a great day out there after a, after a good weekend. And we are glad that you're spending some time with us. All right. I saw a fascinating tweet. This is the way my mind works now. I saw this tweet and I was like, ooh, got to talk about that on the show. Uh, and this is a tweet from Lee Strobel, but he is retweeting the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Uh, and here is what the tweet says. It says, in a recent Barna group study, so Barna, we've talked about on the show many times, Barna is like the yep. um, research. church research yep. studies 
uh, you kind of trust what you read from Barna. So it says, in a recent Barna Group study, 47% of millennial Christians responded that witnessing to non-believers is wrong. Hmm. Lee Strobel then asks, what do you think? And so, Aubrey, I'm going to turn that question on you. Great. What do you think? Great. What do I think? Um, I think that probably we need to define what witnessing means. Agreed. Because I, my guess, I'm making some assumptions here, is that some millennials might hear witnessing and think you're arguing or you're doing kind of that apologetic where you're like forcing someone, you're fighting with them, you're debating with them. And I would say, absolutely, that's wrong. We don't witness to people to win an argument. We witness to remove the rubble to people's disbelief Mm. so that they can begin to consider Christianity as an option. And there are ways to do that with love and kindness and relational intellect Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that I think sometimes people forget. They think they hear witnessing and they think something. And so that's what I would sort of want to know in this research is how did they define witnessing? Mm -hmm. Now, if we're going to just take it for its what it says, they think witnessing to nonbelievers is wrong. That breaks my heart Mm. because I think evangelism is one of the first things that falls off a lot of Christians tables because it's scary and vulnerable and intimidating and all of those things. Um, it's one thing to call it intimidating. It's a totally different thing to call it wrong. Mm-hmm. And Why do you think they would be saying wrong? Well, I totally agree <laughs> with you about the need to define terms here. Yeah. Uh, but let's pretend that they defined it well. What, okay. What's the wrong? And then I'll tell you some of my witnessing baggage. Some okay. of my, yep. I, I grew up much more in the church than you did. Yep. Uh, but what do you think would, why would even half the respondents, almost half of millennials, so we're talking about younger Christians. Yep even go down the path as to saying, hey, sharing my faith, witnessing to yeah. non-believers is wrong. Well, I I think it's because we're in um, we're in a world that has a lot more faiths uh, right in front of us than you and I had growing mm-hmm. up, I think, Brian. And mm-hmm. so I know this is even true of my middle schooler, that he doesn't necessarily want to tell people he's a pastor's kid or a Christian kid because he's like, mom, not everyone believes what I believe. And it's not fair of me to put that on them. There is kind of this narrative that like, if you share your faith, you're sort of putting it on people and mm-hmm. then you're judging their faith as if they're wrong. And in the culture we live in today, you can't do that. Yeah. That's a really a no-no. Um, so that's probably why I think these Christians are saying they think it's wrong because it's like you're forcing your belief on someone else. Mm. So not to get too personal, but how do you answer that question to him? Or when he says, oh. I, I think my kids probably would say the same thing. Yeah. Um, and so I, I totally get where your son is coming totally, from. Totally. So do uh, I. Even more so now than when we were in high school yeah. or generations ago. Yeah. I feel like we were in high school generations ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but when you have that conversation with him, what, what, are, what do you say to him? Yeah. Kevin and I are always talking to our kids about um, you absolutely have to respect other people's mm-hmm. faith. You absolutely have to honor them no matter what they believe, love them and never disparage what they believe. But buddy, you're a Christian, like God has called you to be a light in the darkness. And so that means you do share your faith and you don't have to do it awkwardly. You don't have to like force it in conversations. But if it comes up and someone says, what does your dad do? Hey, he's a pastor. You don't have to be embarrassed about that. You can, you know, or what's God doing in your life? Not that kids talk like that, but you can talk about things that God is doing in your life or you had fun at church or there's ways to do it without embarrassing yourself or making the people feel awkward, but certainly our kids are going to have to navigate it in this day and age in a way that you and I maybe didn't even have to. And witnessing is hard. I'm not trying to say it's not, but calling it wrong. Oh, that, yeah, that concerns me. What do you think, Brian? I think the pendulum has, is, you know, oftentimes when we use this imagery, pendulum swing too far one way. Right. 
So I've shared this story uh, multiple times on here before, but I literally, when I was in high school, uh, went to our, my youth group, went to like a week long camp called Operation Good News. Okay. Where in the morning you learned how to defend your faith, ask questions. And in the afternoon we were sent to the Jersey Shore. I literally walked the boardwalk of Atlantic City <gasps> with another person. Uh, with a clipboard. Yeah. And basically you had four questions. It was super awkward. That's so awkward. And literally one of the questions is, do you know where you're going if you oh, no, die no, no. today? That's so awkward. And so uh, I get the, the, the urgency behind that. Mm-hmm. I really do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also understand that for me as the Christian high schooler. Yeah. I've often said nothing hurt my desire to share Jesus with my friends wow. more than those experiences of carrying the clipboard. Yeah. And, uh, and also, I just, it was a weird week where literally we would go out. You're going to love this. It's going to end up in a book of yours. We would go out. <laughs> it's all fodder. We would go out and we would do that. And then everybody would come back and you'd submit your number. <gasps> no. And they had a running tally yeah. going for the week. And yeah. I'll never forget being a high school kid. I just wanted to be at the beach, right? right. Like I uh, totally. And uh, I'll never forget a pastor or a youth pastor there got up and confronted the leaders. Like this is wrong. We're oh, counting, and good. the people are like, "Yeah, no, we're going to keep doing you it." You go home, and we're all like, "I don't know what mm. to do with this." And so I do think there's a pendulum, yeah. that has kind of swung back, going, "Well, that's that feels." Uh, to whereas past generations might say, "Hey, what we're not talking about feelings here. We're talking about heaven and hell. Right. We're talking about urgency." Right. right. Uh, but I do think the pendulum has swung to like I can't I can't offend anybody, and I, and I think that's yeah. where I think that's where people like Dave and John Ferguson with their book that just came out, mm-hmm. the blessed practices, and other people. I think that's where they're onto something about how do I form relationships? You know, how does your son or my kids go? Like and, and have a natural conversations with their friends. Right. That, they're not traveling. They're not salesmen. I correct. think that's it. You're not traveling salesmen. You're a travel guide. How can you just have relational intimacy with people so the love of Jesus flows out yes. and it not it put someone else in a super awkward position? Yeah. yeah. And how do how does I get the gospels offensive to some people? But doesn't yeah. mean I need to be offensive. That's it. There you go. <laughs> that's so good, mean, Brian. Yeah. Uh, that I need to be a jerk. As we close this out, uh, you and Kevin, you guys lead a church, as do I. How do you speak to your congregation about mm-hmm. sharing? What, what's kind of the strategies yep. or the or the tact you guys take? Yeah, we actually use a lot of Ferguson stuff. We mm-hmm. we talk about that blessed method a lot, which is begin. I can't remember what begin the with prayer. Begin with prayer. Listen. Oh, you're going into blind <laughs> right terrible. now. Is uh, each. Eat. That's right. You either invite them over you bring them a meal serve find a way to serve or ask them to serve you that's a um Uh, okay and then what's the last tell your story tell your story and then i have a friend who actually adds an ing invite them either to church or christ or small group my friend is (laughs) invite them i can't remember what the n stands for g you share the gospel with them because he's really big about evangelism you got to get to the point where actually talking about jesus with your friends Mm -hmm. or else it's really not going to go anywhere yeah that's right and so we'd love to know what you think uh, as again, I saw this tweet and was going, man, I don't I don't know what I think about it. I get the heart behind it, but I also don't know what I think about it. So let us know at our Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at Common Good Talk. Well, coming up next hour, we're excited to have at the back half of the hour, uh, a guest by the name of Davey Blackburn, the founder of Nothing is Wasted Ministries. You're going to want to hear his story uh, and hear about what he is doing. He's going to be in the second hour here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.
Coming up this hour, Andy Stanley talks about why he's embarrassed about some churches. And then we're joined by Davey Blackburn, the founder of Nothing is Wasted Ministries. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us on a beautiful Monday afternoon. Uh one thing uh, us as pastors know, it's a year ago this week. Isn't that unbelievable? That life changed. I mean. And I vividly remember where I was oh, when let's everything hear. Where started were you? closing. So, you know, things were getting weird through that week, yes. right? But I remember it was a Friday afternoon. I had a breakfast meeting with somebody and we were talking because stuff was starting to change. You're like hearing about possibly some schools closing. And I was like, man, this is crazy. Right. And then later that afternoon, I had, like all pastors, I had a meeting at Pete's Coffee, you know? <laughs> right. And I of was course. meeting with this, Why not? Uh, somebody from our church. And all of a sudden, my phone just started blowing up. Right. And it was my wife and going, hey, they're closing schools. And yeah. I'm like, finally, I told this girl, I'm like, I got to go. Yeah. And I'll never forget that seriously, that sense of like, Everything's different now. Yeah. Like, it's all different. And then pastors are texting, what are you doing this right. week? Right. Remember, we thought we'd be out like a week, two weeks. Oh, the whole maybe talk two was weeks, like, three weeks. Do we think we'll have Easter services? And right. now we're like, are we going to have Easter services this year? Right. And I remember texting with some pastor friends of mine, like, what are you doing this week? And other people text me, what are you going to do? And yeah. it was like this. I think we're still going to meet. And then an hour later, should we meet? And then an hour later, yeah, we can't meet. Definitely and not going to meet. What do you do? And it was just so... So surreal. What do you remember about that time? So my, this was also the Nashville tornado had just happened. And Is that right? I, yes, the same week. And I, my aunt and uncle actually lost their home in the tornado. It was a Gosh. terrible story. So Kevin was in Nashville helping them clean some things up. So he's driving home and all of the church staff were constantly talking. We're going to have to cancel church. We're going to have to cancel yeah. church. We're going to have to cancel church. I'm trying to get hold of Kevin, but the cell phone towers or whatever, Nashville. the technology in Nashville wasn't working well. Yeah. So I can't get a hold of him. Finally, at some point he's driving home and he's close enough that I can get a touch with him. And I'm like, babe, we got to cancel church Sunday. And he's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I have no idea. And I'm like, wait, wh- you don't even know. You need to turn on the news. You need to start. And he was like, whoa, 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 Oblivious. slow down. <laughs> so he called Jamie Ayton at the Humanitarian Disaster Institute, yes. who's been on the show, and said to Jamie, hey, I'm a pastor. This is a disaster. What do I do? And Jamie said, if you love your people, you will close your church. And Kevin went, okay. He said, we're open. No, <laughs> <laughs> so you're right. And then all of a sudden you're transitioning to uh, online services. And just like you said, I think we thought it would be a few weeks. Yeah. And then we thought maybe a few months. And then, oh, surely by the end of the summer. And then suddenly here we are a year later. It's, I'll, I'll never forget telling our church staff, like it was like in April, maybe. And I said, guys, uh, we need to prepare ourselves that this might last until like June. Mm. <laughs> Like, right. And at that point, that felt <clears throat> unreal. Right. That Like, Unpossible. surely it won't be June. Impossible. And you guys yeah. might be wondering, why are we asking about this? I, I saw this article. One of the people, uh, if there's two pastors that have stood as representations of two different ideas through this, it's John MacArthur, mm-hmm. open your church, God's people meet, yep. we're going to be together. Right. And it's Andy Stanley. 
He was one of the first people. We're closing our church For through the, the end of the year. Yep. This is what it means to love your neighbor. Everything can be done online. And they're kind of the representations. They almost gave license to people to go either way. That's like, true. Well, You're right about that. You know, Andy Stanley's doing this. I can kind of tell my church board. So John MacArthur's doing this. I could kind of, and, yep. and I've kind of sensed that. Andy Stanley the other day came out and said this. Andy Stanley, in quote, embarrassed as a Christian by churches that sparred with government over COVID lockdowns. He says he's embarrassed churches that engaged in, quote, spitting matches with state and local governments uh, over COVID-19 lockdown restrictions, lamenting that far too many churches, quote, abandoned the mission for the sake of the mo- That's such an Andy Stanley line. Wow. Say it again, Brian. Abandoned the mission for the sake of the model. And he yeah. goes on to say. Uh, the thing that has been concerning to me about the local church is how quickly so many local churches felt like we've got to get back in our building shoulder to shoulder doing what we've always been doing. It was the exact wrong response, he says, to COVID because we had an opportunity, the opportunity of a lifetime to do new things, try new things, experiment with new things because we couldn't do the old things. And instead of focusing on what we can't do, we should have been 100% focused on what we can do. Wow. And he goes on to unpack this whole, we, instead of being focused on the message, we're so focused on the model. Mm-hmm. Your church hasn't opened back up. Right, we haven't. My church has opened back up with signups and limited capacity mm-hmm. and masks, kind of how other people have. Mm-hmm. I wonder how Andy Stanley, he's really good at kind of synthesizing things. Uh, what do you think about what Andy Stanley had to say here? You know, I do feel like I wish, just even as a leader, I would have had the same attitude. Because even though we... I mean, we obviously closed and we did what we felt like it was right. Mm-hmm. I didn't necessarily see it as this. What's the language he uses? I didn't necessarily as an opportunity mm-hmm. to do new, innovative things. I was just sort of like, I have never led in a pandemic before. I yes. don't know what to do. This is the choice we're going to make as faithfully as we possibly can. And I do think even as we begin to go back and I mean, you could apply this to like a growing post Christian society that we need to see these new challenges as opportunities and almost as adventures and ways to innovate as the church, because he's right. We don't have to be the church in the building. You know, we can be the church. Actually, we're not the church when we're in the building, right? We're the church when we're in the neighborhood, loving our neighbors and with each other. Um, So I I think he's right on. What do you think, Brian? I think that line, uh, there's nobody better at like having these little tweetable moments. Yeah, Yeah. I know. I almost said pithy. I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean, like he just, he said, you marry the mission, you date the model. Oh, that's good. He doesn't mean the, never mind. (laughs) (laughs) You don't date models. (laughs) Well, you could date a model, but yeah. You marry the mission, you date the model. As a leader, COVID aside, that is something I've always struggled with because it's always in my mind, uh, hey, this is how we do things, right? Like, like this is the model. Like you do, this is how you do it. Andy Stanley's going, Hey, COVID has given us an opportunity to go, no, we we are married to the mission. We're trying to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, help people find and follow Jesus. We're trying to whatever his mission statement mm-hmm. is. And you'd be, you'd be willing to change the model. And I think he's right that most of the time in churches, people get really hung up on the model. Absolutely. Like, no, this is how we do things. And I think... I think the way he puts it does explain why some churches were willing to stay closed, like him, like his own, while yep. people like MacArthur were like, nope, you've got to be. And I know Mark MacArthur makes it much more theological sure. than that. Uh, but but it does kind of make a little bit of sense. Yeah, I I um, I think, too, we it, this is an opportunity to 
go, okay, what can we do? Because I don't know any church that just said, okay, we're done. We're done being right. the church. We're not going to do, we're not going to have any activity. We're not going to have any community. No church just said, okay, we're giving up on the mission. Right. Every church, at least pastor that I know, began to see, okay, what can we do in the middle of COVID? How can we bring our people together? How can we encourage them? How can we like lead in the middle of this crisis? And I, I think it'll be interesting to find out what things carry through even as churches maybe go back to the old models, what things will we bring with us that were innovated in COVID? Yes. Um, you know, how has culture changed now for church? I think those will be interesting things I think to see. it's going to be fascinating questions and good fodder for a radio show as hopefully we start <laughs> That's to get right. a little bit. You can kind of feel the light at the end of the tunnel a little bit. So hopefully as that happens, uh, we start to get the answers to some of these questions. Well, coming up next, I do want to talk about another pandemic issue. We are both parents, uh, both Aubrey and I, and I want to talk about why kids are hitting the pandemic wall. This idea at CNN coming up next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you with us on this Monday afternoon. Uh, Really random question. Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram? What is your favorite mode of social media? Instagram, by far. I love Instagram. Why? That's a great question. Okay, people on Twitter are bitter, bitter Twitter. Um, And (laughs) I am not a polemic enough person to like really thrive on Twitter. I I tend Mm. to be more moderate. So I just am like, oh, but Jesus loves everybody. You know, Um, Facebook is, you know, it's it's aging. That's it's 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 time. I'm I'm just trying to say it's the boomer world. It's time is ending. I think you do know we're aging. I know we are. I'm part of it. I'm not trying to say I'm not part of it, but uh, Instagram, I just, it's the most friendly and people are encouraging and I love Instagram. What about you? What's your fave? I think it's Twitter. Yeah. But here's the deal. I don't interact much on any of them. I'm Interesting. Like, I more observe. Okay. And especially Twitter, I like it because it serves more as my news source. Sure. Uh, sports and news and uh, all that kind of stuff. And so I do tend to spend more time on Twitter. I'm not a big Instagram guy, but I know that I should be because uh, that's where my I only got on Instagram because we let our daughter on it. And oh, yeah. So you got to like we were like, you can go on Instagram. But dad is also going to be there. <laughs> on I think, Instagram. I think that took yeah. all the fun away from Instagram. <laughs> She's like, dad, this is the worst. I am trying on Facebook. I'm trying to build more of a community there because there's still a ton of people on Facebook. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to have more conversations there and do some fun things rather than just posting, you know, events or yes. something like that. So you've got a book coming out soon. Yep, I think. September. How much of that is driven by like literally <laughs> do you sit down with like a team and it's like, yep, here's how we roll out. Here's social media. I'm yep. fascinated. Is that how it works? Uh, that's pretty much how it works. And then you try to find some strategic. I mean, usually they're friends mm-hmm. that are in the industry as well, but some strategic ways to partner. So like they're going to share about my book. I'm going to share about their book or we're going to have some conversations. And yes, you begin sort of subtly rolling out little hints about the book here and there. Yep. And then, you know, about six weeks before it really amps up. But social media is sort of the way to launch a book these days. Not the only way, but a big way to launch a book these days. I would think it's second behind talk radio. It is, it is maybe third, third <laughs> behind. Be there's it. talk radio. There's like you get a really big speaking contract and then social media. <laughs> uh, that'll be fun. That'll be good. So when's it come out again? September, September 7th. What's it about? Um, it's about who you are in God, who, who, how God has named you Ooh. and um, the, what you're supposed to do about that. 
Well, that sounds fascinating. Yeah, it'll be good. I'm excited about it. It's 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 going to be. We'll great. have you back. Okay, I'll come talk about it. <laughs> come talk about Mark it. Mark your calendar, September seventh. Well, as Aubrey and I have been talking about over the last couple of weeks, as she continues to fill in and guest host, is that we are both parents. Your kids, you have three sons, ages ages fourteen, eleven, and nine. All right, so we're just a little bit ahead of you. I have I have a daughter, son, daughter, and my daughter's seventeen. My son is thirteen, and my youngest daughter is eleven. Okay, uh, and so this has been a crazy year. Yeah, it has. For not just us as pastors and as adults, but man, taking walking kids oh. through this pandemic has just been uh it's been wild. Yeah, it has and been. so uh at CNN this idea it's this article was written here why kids are hitting the pandemic wall. Wow. And I, I would argue that a lot of them hit it much sooner than now. Uh, but let me just read a little bit of this. It says, after nearly a full year of grappling with the effects of COVID-19 pandemic, including nine months of virtual school, they're going to follow this 11-year-old London Lori simply has had enough. She said, uh, enough of Zoom calls, enough of social distancing, enough of all of it. Her focus is waning. Yeah. School, something she loves, has become a drag. She said, I'm tired. I'm stressed. I feel lazy. Everything is awkward now. Mm. Across time zones, it says age groups and socioeconomic lines, young people appear to be hitting a breaking point that developmental psychologists are calling the pandemic wall. Wow. So let me pause there. Uh, not surprising, and I don't want to dig too much into your family or mine, right. but it's just something you're seeing with your own kids, with friends, yeah. with uh, this idea of a wall. And then I want to talk about what do we do about this, but right. do you think they're accurate about this? I think they're 100% accurate. I am, again, I don't want to say too much about my own kids, but I right. am finding all of these things are true. And I would say that the technology uh, failures are, it, it's no one's fault. It is what it is, but they're getting old and that's causing my own kids to just almost give up. Like hmm. if the Chromebooks aren't going to work, where, why would we show up? And so I am personally ready as a mom to have them back in school for their yes. own, have for their own social education, uh, social experience and their education as well. Are your yeah. kids hitting a pandemic wall? It's interesting. Yes. And um, but they've been back in school a bunch, which is good. That's great. Um, and, you know, they've got it's getting nice out. They can do this. Yeah. But, but I do see it. Um, and it's around technology like you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Like kids were not made to sit and watch school. That's it. It's so difficult. Yeah. And then. Uh, I do feel like, you know, we're letting our kids see their friends and, and safe ways and this and that. But you hear about the families who their kids aren't seeing anybody. Yeah. Like, it's just it's it's such a hard conundrum because you want safety and you want to follow the, you know, the rules mm-hmm. or the recommendations. But at the same time, you want you realize your kids aren't going to not going to survive this if right. they're just locked in their they're room going school to. and doing this. And so that's where. It becomes really difficult, and uh, it goes on to say, I want to highlight this. It says, how can grown-ups help? You might be at home right now going, yeah, my kids are drowning. Um, and it says this. There are several ways adults can make this situation easier for kids. First, acknowledge the situation without sugarcoating it. Then give kids a chance to respond. Uh, Kelman, who's a psychologist, said it's good for parents to share their own disappointment. But she noted that it's important to encourage kids to verbalize their disappointment, too, uh, as well. Then actually hold space for them to do them to do that. Parents may also want to encourage children to reminisce about life before covid so they can remember specific things they miss and can look forward again. Another option 
schedule regular check-ins to make sure that your kids are okay. okay. Uh, Ford, the researcher, said she recently interviewed a mother who puts 15-minute breaks into her schedule throughout the day so she could see how her daughter is doing. Lastly, wow. a third strategy is to let kids lead the way. This English teacher jettisoned her original lesson plans and pivoted to a curriculum more connected to issues that kids care about, including 2017 Angie Thomas' book called The Hate You Give. The book has spurred interesting discussions uh, online about Black Lives Matter and issues that resonate with them right now. Uh, what have you found with the last minute we have or so? What, what, what would you say to parents out there? Not what have you found. What would you say to parents as a mom, yeah. as a pastor who's like scared for their kids yeah. right now? Like my kids oh. aren't doing well. How would you not only encourage, but what's one or two things those parents can maybe do? Right. I would say, yes, it is hard right now. That's what I would just affirm. It is mm-hmm. hard right now. None of us have parented kids in a pandemic and our kids have never gone through a pandemic. Right. And I think some of this. We're not going to see, we need 10 years of hindsight for our kids to get a little older mm-hmm. and then process their emotions about this year. Some of them don't even have the wherewithal to understand what they're going through right, right now, you know. Um, and then I would just say, I think this connection piece, that 15 minute connection or whatever, once a week where you're like taking your kid out on a special just mm-hmm. mommy son or daddy daughter time, like those that has been crucial for our family. We have one kid, I think I've told you, Brian, who's really struggled. And we've just been like, okay, we're taking him out to dinner tonight, just the two of us. Or we're going to do a special activity that he's really interested in just to, I think, give them some life mm-hmm. that they've lost and remind them that we see them. What about you? What's worked for you? I think you hit on something important there. Like, I also think that I think uh, we can't have everything be very black and white. That's like, it. Hey, we are never doing this or we're always like kids need to see that we're struggling with this and mm-hmm. there is some nuance and hey, maybe we're not comfortable doing that, but we're going to do that. And here's why I like treat your kids like 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 talk to them about yeah. it. Like we're quite frankly, we're flying out of town here in a couple of weeks oh, and good. we're like we are taking our kids because our family needs a break. Good for and, you. You know, some people might be like, that's wrong. It's what our family needs right now. Yeah. We're going to do it where we've got, you know, and we're going to go do that and be unashamed about it. Yeah. Like, uh, and so I think those are important. You might have other stuff. Uh, let us know at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Common Good Talk. Well, coming up next, an interview we are excited to do. Davey Blackburn, uh, the founder of the Nothing is Wasted Ministries. He's going to join us for the final two segments of the show here on the Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Common Good here on AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us today. Uh, and we are thrilled to be joined for the next two segments uh, by the founder of Nothing is Wasted Ministries and also the host of the Nothing is Wasted podcast. We're real excited to talk to Davey Blackburn. Davey, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, guys, it's an honor. Thanks for having me. It's absolutely our pleasure. Well, Davey, I'd love for you, as we get started here, uh, I'd love for you, A, to introduce yourself, who you are now to our audience, but then also uh, you do have just a fascinating story, a, a tragic story, uh, but also what we're going to talk about today is a story of, of just God's God's redemption. Uh, so maybe if you could introduce yourself to our audience and then also just jump in and tell us your story a little bit. Yeah, uh, I Davey Blackburn. I live in Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, I'm married to my beautiful wife, Christy, and we have three kids, Natalia, who is seven, Weston is six, and Cohen is 
16 months. Mm. And uh, we lead a ministry called Nothing Is Wasted Ministries, which helps people in their trauma, tragedies, and major life transitions, helping them to find purpose in their pain and ultimately partner with God to take back their story. And it really comes, uh, the impetus behind this ministry comes from, from our own personal journeys, both Christy and myself, but started way back in, in kind of my personal journey at first in a tragedy that our family walked through. Um, in 2015, uh, I was married to a, a beautiful girl named Amanda. Uh, we were married for seven years. And uh, November 10th of 2015, our home in Indianapolis was broken into and she was murdered um, in our home. And that was uh, November 10th of 2015. We had come to Indianapolis to plant a church. We were a part of a, a large church in South Carolina called New Spring Church, where we were dream job. I mean, loving every single bit of it. But then God called us to plant, to move to Indianapolis and plant a church. And so on November 11th, 2011, we packed up a moving van and we pursued God's call to plant this church. And, um, and then on November 11th, four years to the day, 2015, uh, four years to the day since we packed up and, and moved to plant this church, she was pronounced officially deceased wow. in the hospital wow. uh, from gunshot wounds. And um, we were we were 13 weeks pregnant with our second. Mm. Um, we had a 15 month old, Weston, and we were 13 weeks pregnant with our second. And so obviously we lost the baby. Oh. And um, so, you know, needless to say, that upended our world. Um, I was left trying to navigate the overwhelming feelings of, of grief and loss and, and loneliness and heartache. And um, my, my world was completely fractured. Yeah. And uh, on top of that, I was pastoring this church and trying to figure out how to pastor this church that we had started and how to do this all by myself and how to father our, our 15 month old son by mm-hmm. myself. And, um, and it was a, it was a, it was just an awful, awful journey, yeah. uh, especially for the first several months. Um, but ultimately God led me on this powerful healing journey over the first year. And, uh, I continued to pastor the church and, and I, um, decided to start a podcast because I was getting invited to go and spend some time with these really great Christian leaders all over the country. And I was borrowing their faith from them. They Mm. were walking me through what God's word has to say about pain and suffering and Mm -hmm. difficulty and sharing with me their own redemption stories and other people's redemption stories. And so here I am continuing to preach and pastor this church and, um, and people are looking on from the outside going, how is he doing this? And I felt a little bit misunderstood. So I decided to pop a microphone in front of some of these I was borrowing faith from mm-hmm. and have them share their story and basically say, hey, world, this is, who, this is how I'm healing. I'm yeah. hearing other people's stories. And, um, and, and that became the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. And then ultimately, in uh, the beginning of 2019, became Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. Mm. Dave, you have such a powerful story. Thanks for sharing that with us. I would love to know how you came up with the name Nothing is Wasted, because it's so hopeful out of such a horrific tragedy. Mm. What was the inspiration for that? Yeah, Aubrey, there was two major things that were the inspiration. One, um, it's kind of a drawback from uh, what Amanda, she was kind of gaining some traction and gaining reputation in Indianapolis before she was killed uh, for refurnishing furniture, re- refurbishing furniture. And she would ask me to you stop on the side of the road on the way home from work and pick up this dresser that was just terribly, I mean, there's nothing you could do with it. It was so dilapidated. And I'd bring it home and I'm like, what in the world are you going to do with this? And the first time I asked her that question, I remember her looking at me saying, Baby, just trust me and give me a little time, mm-hmm. and, and I'll turn this around into something beautiful. 
And immediately after this happened, I, I, I remembered that and I felt like God was speaking to us saying that exact same thing. I wow. could just hear Amanda's words echoing through the voice of God saying, Hey, Davey, give me a little time and trust me and I'll turn this into something beautiful. In fact, there was this powerful moment while we were sitting in the hospital waiting for test results to come back. We were there in the hospital for 24 hours to see if there was anything the doctors could do to maybe revive her or, or you know, bring her back to us. And her sister sitting on the other side of her bedside, I'm sitting on one side, which actually was a, um, a it, was, it was like a replay of where we were sitting on the bedsides uh, when, when she was having Weston. So oh, wow. Months prior to this, we're sitting there in the same exact positions, but this time, Amanda's completely unconscious. And we knew that mm-hmm. she could hear anything. She would want worship music to be played. So we grabbed the phone, put it on Pandora radio station, put that phone at the foot of the bed, and we put it on Elevation Worship. It was her favorite radio station. And you guys know how Pandora works. It's just randomized. Right. right. And the very, the very first song that comes up in that moment was the song, Nothing is Wasted by Elevation Worship. Wow. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's like God parted the gap between heaven and earth and came to us in that moment and told us, I am not going to waste this pain. This is too excruciating. This is too terrible, but it is not going to be in vain. And I'm going to do something through this that is going to send a ripple effect across the world to help other people. And and, and I just, it reminded me, it was so reminiscent of Psalm 23, 4, right? That when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we do not have to fear because God is with us. He shows up in these bleakest, darkest, gravest moments yep. if we open up our hearts to him. And that's what he did for us. That's oh, so powerful, Dave. We really appreciate your story. Uh, someone's sitting in their car right now going, man, my life is crumbling. It might be a job. It could be mm. health. It could be a loss. And they're going, hey, I hear what he's saying, but I don't think I can hold on. What would you speak specifically to that person who's like, man, I, I just don't know that I can even take that first step that you're talking about? Yeah, I think it's a great question because I think that's where so many of us are. And we find ourselves at some point in those spaces of complete desperation, of doubt, of discouragement on any varying degree. And I think the first thing I'll say is you're not a bad person when you feel that. Mm. When you feel that depression, you're not a bad person. When you feel that anxiety, you're not a bad person. Uh, You're a normal person. In fact, the, the greatest heroes of our faith, you look all throughout Scripture, the people that we have held up and propped up as the heroes of our faith, the Davids, the Pauls, all of the, like they, they felt those experiences. They, they had those moments of desperation. They came to a crossroads moment where they doubted God. Right. And they were, they were unsure whether or not he was going to come through. And it was in these spaces that God did his best work in their life. And it's in these spaces that God will do the best, his best work in your life, too. He'll meet you in those spaces. So, so take that doubt, take that fear, take that anger, take that pain, take those tears, take them to the Lord. And when you bring them honestly to the Lord, he'll meet you there. He custom designs the way that he meets you. There is a personal ministry of the Holy Spirit that nobody else can match. The Holy Spirit will come and will speak to you exactly what you need to hear right. at exactly the right moment. This is why God's name is I Am. He told Moses, hey, I am, which means he, he was, he is, and he always will mm-hmm. be exactly what we need. And that's what I love about the personal nature of God. So if you're in that space, then God wants to come meet you in that. Just lean into him. 
Well, that other voice here is Davey Blackburn, the founder of Nothing Is Wasted Ministries, host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. You can find the website is nothingiswasted.com. And Davey, uh, one of the things that you've got going on, as we said, is the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. I would love to hear about what, what is your what is your vision behind that podcast? If people were to subscribe, who are some of the people that they will hear from? Why don't you tell us some more about that podcast? Yeah, um, you know, we call it Hope in Your Headphones. It, and it really is, like we talked about in the last segment, it really is just a space for us to have conversations with people who've gone through some really difficult things. And you're talking about a variety of different uh, avenues of pain, you know, not just like loss of a loved one, but everything from sexual betrayal to abortion regret to, you know, sexual assault, all the different crazy things that we go through in this life, the crises that we walk through, and we, we try to find as many uh, different um, stories and voices that we possibly can, but most importantly, they all have um, redemption stories, how God met mm. them in their journey and turned their pain in, into purpose. And so, you know, you're going to, we've got interviews from folks that people would know really well, you know, Lisa Turkhurst and Craig Groeschel and some of those folks. Then we also have what we call our unsung heroes which we, we, we love these because it's kind of like mining for some really great stories. Everybody's got a story out there, and, and, and one of the best things that we can do is share our story. Right? Revelation 12 tells us that uh, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and mm-hmm. the word of our testimony. Mm-hmm. And so for people to be able to share their stories, we want to give voice to that. So we find these folks that, man, maybe we've come along them on a journey, or we've heard about them, or somebody suggested that their story to us, and we love sitting down with them and just kind of giving a microphone to their story. It's, it's incredible. Absolutely encouraging to, I'm sure a lot of listeners who need, like you said, hope in their headphones. I love that. Davey, nothing is wasted. Ministries is more than just a podcast though. You have community groups, you have certified guides, you have this new <laughs> pain to purpose course that's out for churches. Can you talk to us about those? Yeah, we have a lot of different offerings, a lot of things that we do, but ultimately the impetus behind it is that when we first started the ministry, we really were just a podcast. And while that was extremely inspiring, um, we were podcasting and I was traveling to churches and speaking and sharing our story. And the one thing that we continued to hear was, wow, that's really inspiring, but what do I do next? And I felt like God had taken me on this, this journey, this healing journey. And as I was talking to other people on the podcast, I started to see some common denominators of people who heal well through any kind of major trauma, tragedy, or life transition. And so we just started, okay, what, what would it look like to put a framework together? to help people actually move, move them from inspiration to transformation. And then that became the impetus behind this is what the ministry is supposed to do. So we try to create great content that's inspiring. We, uh, we create community that is encouraging and we create, we have coaching that is challenging to help people walk that healing journey and turn their, their pain around into purpose. And so, you know, you said it, the first thing and probably the, the staple thing that we do is this course called the pain to purpose course. That just came out of some coaching that, that um, my wife and I, Christy, uh, you know, remarried in 2017. She's got an incredible story herself of pain to purpose. But we started coaching people, and then we started building through this coaching, uh, this pathway, the pain to purpose pathway. It turned into a course, and then we started offering that course to individuals and small groups. Then these churches and pastor, pastors and church leaders started asking us if they could offer the course in their church. And so we began licensing it to churches and launching it there. Um, and, and then we started realizing that people needed some community to talk to other people who were going through the same valley as them. I mean, I was a young widower, and I wanted to talk to other young widowers right. who were a little bit further along in the journey who knew the pitfalls that I was going to have to avoid or that I was going to inevitably run into and, and who had this like-minded, uh, Christ 
self-centered approach to, to their healing journey. And so we realized as we looked around the country that that wasn't really happening for a lot of people that we were coming in contact with. So we said, well, why don't we utilize the platform that God has given us to make that community happen for others? And so now we have groups of uh, well over 500 people online that are just wow. interacting with each other and helping each other through their pain journeys. And then we also now have certified 20 guides or, you know, coaches, but we call them certified guides to coach people one-on-one if they need some additional investment or time into that pain to purpose course. So we're doing a lot of different stuff and it's really exciting because we're hearing story after story after story after story of how God is taking people's pain and turning around into purpose. That's awesome. This might be a strange question, Davey. Is it ever get overwhelming for you to constantly not only have to talk about your story, but hear other people's pain all the time? Or is it, do you find it inspiring and healing? How do you protect yourself? You know, it's both and, Brian. And, and I'm glad you asked that question because a lot of times those of us who are working in these spaces, pastors, um, you know, church leaders, counselors, therapists, people who are continually exposing themselves to take on and absorb other people's pain and helping them in their pain. We all have this, uh, this heart to want to help people, but sometimes it can get overwhelming. And I remember specifically, I was speaking at a church and there was this long receiving line afterwards where, and this is something, I mean, it had, it had been on repeat for, you know, months and months and months of this happening. And I remember being like, God, I cannot take on another pain story. This is really mm. difficult. And I remember specifically the Lord just whispering to my soul, this, the way that he does so lovingly, he said, baby, I didn't call you to take this on for people. I called you to deflect their pain to me, to mm. show them wow. that they can put mm-hmm. their pain at my feet because I'm the one that will take it on. I mean, he took on our pain, our shame, our guilt, everything, all of our sin, the whole sin of humanity on the cross. Yep. And so the, the, the story of that is that it's, it's finished. We don't have to carry that. Now we just get to point people to the one who can and who is absolutely 100% able to carry that that's for great. them. So that was good. revolutionary for me. Yeah, yeah. that's so good. Davey, for listeners who are interested in finding out more about the Pain to Purpose course or maybe just taking a next step, what's a simple way that they can get connected with you and um, with this sort of Pain to Purpose journey? Absolutely. Probably the best next step, if you want to kind of get on, just get started, is we have a 21 days of devotions. They're Pain to Purpose devotions that we'll send to your email inbox for the next 21 days as soon as you, as soon as you subscribe to it. And the way you subscribe to it is very simple. If you text, N-I-W, so just like nothing is wasted, but N-I-W, you text it to 66866. Again, that's N-I-W to 66866. We'll send you 21 days of devotions every day for the next 21 days. And as you start walking that journey, if there's other things that, I mean, you're going to get some other, you know, information about the pain to purpose course and stuff like that. We'd love to come alongside you any way we possibly can to help you partner with God and take back your story. Awesome. Davey, as we talked about, you're a church planter, a pastor. Uh, This is kind of like the last minute or two of our show. We're kind of closing out the show here. So I always like to ask other pastors, give you a chance. There's somebody out there in their car listening. They're either going through a struggle right now or maybe life is good. But but what what is a word of hope? I want to let you as a pastor just to kind of preach for a minute a word of hope to people out there in the Chicagoland area. Yeah, well, I think one of the things that has been I've seen is the most hopeful for people is that God has not forgotten them and that he does have a specifically designed, custom-designed, unique purpose for them, that they're destined for purpose and for impact no matter what has taken place in your life. 
And I would just point them back to a story in, in God's Word. It's a very obscure story, but King David, at one point, was coming back from the battlefield, and he, he comes back to his camp, and all of his, his wife, his kids, and all of his men's wives and kids, they were stolen. They were taken from him by the, by the enemy. Mm. And the first thing that King David does is he says, he says, bring me the linen ephod, which is a crazy request. I would have been like, well, uh, bring me not my sword. I'm going to tell you something about it. Yeah. And he, he said, bring me the linen ephod, which was the garment of praise. Hmm. And it was what the priests would wear when they would go into the temple before they would you know, do the sacrifices for the sin of the people. And the other place in Scripture we see David wearing or asking for the linen ephod was when he's parading into the, to Jerusalem after this military conquest, and all the women are swooning over him, and they're saying, <laughs> David, or Saul's killed his thousands, David is 10,000, and he's dancing in the linen ephod. And so when I read that, I remember thinking, man, in his most tragic moment, in his most triumphant moment, no matter where you are on the map, whether you're on a mountaintop or a valley, David right there, he sought the Lord. Mm. Yeah. He gave praise to the Lord. He turned it back into praise to the Lord. And when you do that, when you seek the Lord and when you lean into him, then some really supernaturally profound things can happen in your life. You're opening up the door for God to do something. Because the very next thing David does, he says, okay, God, what am I supposed to do? And God said, go take it back. Go mm. take your wives and your children back. And I'm going to bless your journey to do this. And, and this is ultimately my heart for every single person. I think we mm. can get stuck. I think sometimes we can fall into a victim mentality when right. something bad happens to us. But the reality is, is God is saying to you right now, listen, I am for you. I, I've created you on purpose with a purpose, and I want you to go and take your story That's back. Good. I've written That's a good. beautiful redemptive story. That's so let's go take it back together. So good. Good word. At Other Voices, Davey Blackburn, founder of Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. Go check out the website, nothingiswasted.com. Davey, thanks so much, man. This was great. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Aubrey. Thanks so much, Davey. Absolutely. And uh, this is the end of the show as well. And so we hope you join us again tomorrow from 4 until 6. Until then, we hope you have a great night. For Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.